Okay, guys, good morning. We are morning. back with a new, uh, new episode. So we just had a small talk, and I think it's uh, really cool to highlight first that we all are on a different uh, continent, <laughs> as you said, Jorn. Um, I'm right now in South Africa, Cape Town, just arrived. Um, it's fucking amazing weather here. No lockdown. We had a crazy party last night. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite cool to, to be here to do this. Um, also, good to have you as well on the podcast, Paul, your first time. Uh, where Thank are you, you at? I'm in Indonesia. Um, it's, a, yeah, so to say, very different world, more than ever, from the Netherlands. Um, where I am, Corona kind of seems to be the forbidden word. And, uh, well, we're still affected, but uh, people just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, and life just goes on like normal. Cool. You're still in Norway, Jorn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still in Norway. Proper lockdown, but uh, not too bad. Beautiful nature around us, so <laughs> it's survivable. Cool. And Zoe, you're in the, the metaverse? Exactly. I took a step out. I didn't like Corona, so uh, I thought I'm going to chill here on my own. Uh, no, I'm in uh, I'm in Harlem actually, so um, I'm uh, I'm probably going to be here for the next few months, considering lockdown and uh, uh, and overall focus. And then after that, uh, probably the UK. Uh, this year, definitely also Indonesia on the on the plan. So uh, there's still a little bit of travel to come once things open up a little bit more. Also here. Awesome, great. All right. Um, so since our first talk last time, uh, of course, a lot has happened especially with the Bitcoin price. And I think it's cool to, uh, or important to first highlight that, what's, uh, what's going on with that and how we uh, individually anticipate or, or, um, or deal with that. Um, so during our last talk, the, there was actually an all-time high being hit at 55K. And now I believe we're at 46, 47 this morning. Um, so a big correction. Uh, what is your view on this? Because... Many people here, they, they ask me, hey, I, should I sell right now? Or uh, what do I do? Should I just hold? How do you guys uh, deal with this kind of uh, market circumstances? For me, um, well, the, um, these corrections, they're just part of a bull run. So, of course, it can change into, uh, into a bear market. And, but if we look at the last bull cycles, prices um, decreased. I think a few times up to 40%. So I think it's just all part of it. Uh, what I do myself is I try to um, accumulate some USDT during the bull run. So, and then whenever there's like a, a big um, drop in price, then I accumulate again. But other than that, I try to hold. Yeah, same, same for me. It's. Um... <clears throat> My, my long-term perspective for this cycle is $200,000 for one Bitcoin. So that's, that's kind of my target. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not selling anything, not a, not a single Satoshi until <clears throat> at least we're above $150,000. Like then, then I'll start thinking about selling. But for me, this is just like I, I try to not focus on these. I call them small price movements because they seem very big, you know, if it drops a couple of thousand dollars. But. In percentages, it's just not that much. Like we're we're used to a lot bigger drops, you know, from fifty-seven to forty-seven k. That's that's ten thousand dollars sounds a lot, but if you say twenty percent, you know, in Bitcoin terms, that's 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 just a regular Wednesday, isn't it? 
<laughs> yeah, indeed. This is usual. And you say like you're, you start selling at 150K and do you have a specific strategy in mind then? Are you selling at once or are you dollar cost averaging out? How do you do that? Um, yeah, the, the same as Paul does. So basically what I'm doing now is I'm trying to get interest on my Bitcoin. So I use uh, BlockFi or Nexo or Celsius, like one of those apps. So you get, um, you get interest on your Bitcoin. You just deposit it there. You get 6 to 8%. And that's that's how you just build up more more Bitcoin without doing anything. And my plan, like uh, to be honest, my plan is not really to ever sell. But if it shoots up really really high, I try to take some same as Paul does. Like I try to take some profits into USD Tether. Then I put that in the same services. You also get interest on that. You know, just keep it there. And then when the market calms down, you can get back in. But like in principle, at least fifty percent of what I have in Bitcoin. I won't sell for the next 10 years. Yeah, same. Agreed. I, I, I do exactly the same. I have 80% I don't sell. And with the other 20%, I trade or I sell that to buy back in. Uh, what do you do, Zoe? It's actually exactly the same. So I, I do what Paul does as well. So I try to uh, accumulate some USDT while it rises. And then at some point, uh, for example, this correction, then I use that to buy back. But that's more, that's kind of with, I think 4% of what I hold, uh, which is kind of playing money. Uh, and for the rest, I just hold it. That's it. All right, cool. Makes sense. Okay, so I guess we all kind of have the same strategy. Um, holding the most part for the coming decade, I think. And with a, just a small percentage, getting it in and out, right? Yeah, and I, I, I do follow market psychology because it's it's all psychological in the end. You know, like the fundamental the fundamental value of Bitcoin is, is scarcity in in a world where there's not a lot of scarcity left, especially when you look at fiat currency. So the value proposition is, is solid, but you still have to deal with humans and human psychology just doesn't change, you know? And I, I do feel that right now we're in the start of, start of a really big hype cycle. And at some point, the prices will just overshoot the, 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 the reality, you know, the reality of Bitcoin and the, the value it has and the, the place it has in the world. At some point, people will overvalue it by a lot. You know, people will get like FOMO will happen. People will panic buy and, you know, like, oh, shit, I'm missing out and buy more and buy more. So, yeah, like in, if the, in that case, you know, if you, see a, if you see a line shooting straight up, it's usually a sign that, you know, it might be a bit overvalued for the moment. So, yeah, in, in those moments, you can definitely try to protect yourself a little, you know, like it's, it's a long-term game. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm also interested because after our last talk, Elon Musk tweeted, uh, I think now Bitcoin and Ethereum are a bit overpriced. And after that, the price uh, again drops. Should we take those kind of like tweets into consideration or not? Because he has an insane amount of power. Yeah, so I think, uh, I mean, of course we should take them into consideration considering the fact that, I mean, that's what I assume at least, is that many people are uh, very emotional in their decision-making and they probably don't, they haven't done uh, a lot of background thinking into you know, what, what constitutes the price of Bitcoin. It's more like, it's very much from FOMO, right? So then if someone tweets that, uh, I don't know how many followers he has, but he definitely has a really, really big reach. And then it's also seen as someone that generally, you know, is, is 
I don't know, smart and, and you, you should trust for that, for that reason. If he says stuff like that, I think it will, it's, it's definitely not unlikely to cause another, but then downward FOMO wave. Uh, it's like similarly emotional or psychological effects, but then just, oh shit, you know, maybe it is over, overpriced. I should cash out now because it's so high and then that happens. And then that's kind of part of the cycle, I guess. It's, he's just news. He's just like any other, yeah, a large one. Definitely. But what do you guys think? Do you think, like, could Elon Musk have invented Bitcoin? I know it sounds pretty ridiculous, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's been going through my mind over the past couple of weeks that I'm just like, so this guy was working at X.com, right? Which turned out to be PayPal. So he was literally working on a digital form of money. And I remember when reading his book, he was recommending Cryptonomicon, which is this cyberpunk book about digital money. And he, he read this way before Bitcoin was issued. And then, then he tweets, like, in hindsight, it was inevitable. And I was thinking, does he mean that in hindsight that he has to buy his own currency back? Like, <laughs> or in retrospect, it's inevitable. That was what he was saying. But I was like, oh, man, that, in, yeah. That would be so insane if that, if that would be the case. Um, could be, man. I don't know. Like, it could definitely be the case. What, what do you guys think, Paul? Well, I kind of hope that it's some unknown person and that, that is just really good in hiding himself. But uh, it would be very funny as well if it's someone everyone knows in the world and it's some high-level celebrity like Elon Musk is. But um, I just hope that uh, the guy or girl that uh, invented it will keep hiding because uh, it uh, definitely affects the, the price because it just creates this, well, this legend um addition to bitcoin if you compare it to other cryptocurrencies yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's something you can't copy huh you can't copy the story like you can't copy that there's this anonymous team you try to copy it not like the way bitcoin does you know I read, I heard this other guy say it's like an immaculate conception you know like how maria got pregnant with jesus with no father it's kind of like how bitcoin was born like there was no clear founders it was just all of a sudden there that's also like one of the the big reasons why i think bitcoin thrives so much is the, the backstory it's so unique it's so amazing that that makes it uh, so much more interesting the, the whole it's almost like it's it's a some kind of like movie right you, you cannot imagine this kind of shit yeah, yeah. What, what I like about that, like, what, even what I notice my own thinking is that when I look at, when I look at Ethereum, I'll, I'll quickly start thinking about Vitalik Buterin, even though he is not by far the only uh, guy pushing it, of course. But then when I think about Bitcoin, I rather think about just Bitcoin because there is not really a lot else to think about. Um, there is just the background community, and then there you just develop a more of a relation with the concept itself rather than following someone that might have a certain vision. Um, and I think that that definitely uh, helps a lot. You get, you get more like a sense of ownership, I guess, over the over the concept itself, or like participation uh, at the very least. Uh, and it also helps to to not have the idea that there's someone kind of pulling the the strings. Right? So um, it's a really cool cool branding idea. Yeah, that's so that's so true what you're saying because it's there's no face to it. Like if you really want to have decentralization, like it's so obviously, you know, it's the Satoshi Nakamoto, him, she, or they, 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 they were brilliant. But the fact that they, they understood that 
they couldn't be part of the system if you wanted to have it decentralized because they would always, always turn it into something centralized and just moved away and kept anonymous. That's, yeah, just another layer of genius in Bitcoin. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Uh, I think enough Bitcoin for now, enough updates. Um, what I really loved about the, the last episode uh, was the part you uh, mentioned, Jordan, about NFTs. And since then, I don't know why, but like all people in my environment start talking about NFTs. I was at this restaurant yesterday and this guy I met uh, a few days back on the river, he starts talking about NFTs. So I'm like, okay, I need to... Uh, know a bit more about this because last time you gave a brief description but for me it's still not quite clear what nfts are and how these are going to affect uh, my life or just the world maybe you can elaborate a bit on that yeah definitely so um nft stands for non-fungible tokens and fungibility that's it's it's quite a technical term but fungibility means interchangeability so it means that you can exchange like for for example one bitcoin in norway is one bitcoin in indonesia and you can just exchange them directly for each other and it's scarce because bitcoin sold digital scarcity so what non-fungible tokens are are they're also scarce but they can't be interchanged so every non-fungible token is unique so what you can do is you can make an NFT out of a digital or like a me, you can make that into an NFT. So you have the original. Of course, it can be copied, but you have the original same as you would have um, the original of a painting. So you can claim ownership and you can show, same as you can show that you have Bitcoin with your private keys or with your signature. Uh, you, can same, you can show it with NFTs that you're the owner. You can send them to others. You can trade them. You can sell them. And what's happening now is, is it's, it's, it's amazing. It's um, the early majority has arrived. So what happened with NFTs this, this last month is non-crypto people are getting involved. So it's not, it's not you know, like the niche cryptocurrency and, and all these like super difficult terms and uh, decentralized finance. It's, this is, people get this. You know, people get like, oh, cool, digital art, cool. I can own moments. I can own pieces of music. I can own pieces of artwork from an artist that I like, you know, or some video or whatever. And what you're seeing over the past month, I've been, I've been keeping track. And the NBA has launched Top Shots on the Flow blockchain. And that that is going huge. That is the, the biggest um, debt mark or NFT market by volume right now. But... Lindsay Lohan has launched her own NFT, which sells for about $59,000. The Wu-Tang Clan has released an album on an NFT, which they're selling. Linkin Park sell, stole an NFT. Um, Kings of Leon is putting their album on the NFT. Uh, the Smurfs are building NFTs. Atari is making Rob Ghoster Tycoon an NFT. The Care Bears are NFTs. Like it's it's going absolutely insane. The Formula One, the UFC with Chili's. Like Chili's is a blockchain platform for football clubs, so you can be a fan token with NFTs for AC Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid. Also NFTs. Like this this thing is huge, and it's going way beyond the. The cryptocurrency industry so yeah it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on oh man i didn't know what it was this because i looked i looked up the volumes and the total volume is almost 400 million usd so far uh, like totals which is you know it's, it's it's a lot but it's not that crazy yet 
But then I, I realized um, uh, what a nifty gateway is. Uh, and, and then, you know, the fact that you can get, you can use it without understanding crypto uh, and the fact that it, it was, it was definitely like a mental jump to understand that people don't necessarily care about the fact that it's unique, right? Because if you have digital art, technically I could just copy it and send it to anyone else because it's just, you know, bytes, bits, but it's just the, uh, the proof of ownership that really matters. Like the certificate, even though there is a thousand paintings out there that are equal to the one you have, you are the only person that has the true ownership of that. And that's apparently what people care about a lot. It just took, took a while to wrap my head around it because I personally wouldn't care, but it's, it, it makes a lot of sense if you're like a football fan in a community uh, to showing like, Hey, I have, I have, I don't know, I've invested in these NFTs like this. And that shows my dedication to the, uh, the group that I'm a fan of. So it's, it's I, I don't know, this can probably go way, way bigger than it already is. That's exactly, that's the, that's the interesting point also what Jorn said, um, that it's the early majority right now that's coming in there. And I don't think it's the crypto space that's making the market or making the industry in, in, in this case right now. And me personally, I've, I'm a little bit apprehensive of getting really into NFTs and buying them. Did a little bit, of course, but I, I think I'm not an expert. And I think the experts, they're coming from outside the crypto space and they've been in the collectible and um, in the collectibles for decennia and they're just bringing it into the digital world. But, uh, yeah, Christie, Christie's one of the biggest collectible uh, auction houses. They did an NFT as well for people, I think, and they sold. I think, like, I'm not sure on the number, but I think they sold something in the, the area of $5.6 million, just of traditional art. But, but like you're saying, it's the traditional, like, it's it seems, you know, it seems new, but it, it isn't. You know, with Pokemon cards, they, they're also making a comeback right now because of NFTs, but those are also already at value, right? And you have comic collectibles of these special editions that they keep sealed for decades. And so it's, it's nothing really new, but we can find it yeah, did you guys see about Banksy that um, someone who owned one of his digital works was, I think, called Morons? Like, some it says something like, um, "Which moron would buy this?" Something like that. So what they did, they, they they created a video where they're actually burning it. So they they burned the physical piece and they created an NFT. I don't think if it's sold yet, but it's it's just amazing that also that Banksy was. Was a very big name in, uh, in our world too, that wow. his work is digitalized. But that's that's a whole new level of scarcity, man. It's like you burn it, so you destroy. So it's the end of the art piece, and you own the moment that the art piece ended. <laughs> okay, maybe a really like stupid question, but it's just about scarcity, right? If I hear like if you hear like this, because it's why would I want to have like a digital copy of something? Only to prove that it's that's the original. That is that the, the only thing because it's exactly the same as as the original digital piece, right? Well, what, what do you what do you mean exactly? Because it's it's the same with uh, same with Pokemon cards, right? Like you can't just copy them, but you want the original because the original, you know, you know, the company has only issued an X amount of original cards. Yeah, true. Maybe maybe I'm way too conservative in this, uh, but with Pokemon cards or an artwork, uh, I, I think maybe too traditional, um, you can make the claim it's 
this is the real thing and the real artist had, has made this and the rest is just a cheap replica or something like that. But with a digital art piece, it, it's a one-on-one -on -one direct copy, right? Or not? It's, well, you can buy the original. So uh, I, me and Paul actually bought bought an NFT. I, I, I had to convince Paul would we bought an NFT yesterday. There was a, it's on the Flow blockchain. Like me and Paul were early investors in the Flow blockchain. So they had this uh, NFT sale yesterday, which there was this artist called Ben Mauro. And he's been working on the graphic design for movies like Elysium, The Hobbit, uh, Chappie. And he released this cards. Like he's been developing this alien species for the past 10 years on the side as a personal project. So yesterday he issued a card deck. So there were 10 different cards of the species he created and it was um, common, rare and legendary. So yeah, we, we participated in that because I was thinking like this guy is a graphic designer. Here we have graphic or uh, uh, digital art. And this is the first time ever he releases digital art by himself. So now we get on the first time ever, one of these major, major graphic designers releases this art. We, we get to own it. So the, I see value in that. Because if this, if this guy decides, you know, because he, he also said, like, he, he never had a way to monetize his own art. He always wanted to monetize his own art, but he always ended up working for an employer because in the end, you know, there wasn't really a market for his art. And right now, NFTs have created that market. So they, they've given him the freedom for his creativity, just pursue his own art and he can sell it directly. So right now, yesterday, we funded that. So I'm really hoping that yesterday, you know, that's for him to push to create sold his own in two minutes. Sorry? It was sold in two minutes, I believe. Yeah, uh, as soon yeah, as yeah. it live, the, the website was down and uh, I, I, I don't have the numbers, but I feel like so many people were trying to get their hands on this. But, but this is, is so interesting, but it really creates a whole new universe of scarcity, right? Oh, that's, that's insane. I yeah, think the that... Nice thing about what uh, Jorn uh, just mentioned is that this, this art director, Ben Mauro, sorry for interrupting. Uh, this, uh, this art director, Ben Myro, he's been basically creating art for other people, but it's never been his, his own, like the, the, the things that he really loves. And um, now he's able to monetize his hobby, what he's been doing on the side when he's home, but he's not working. He's been working on these things, but he had no way of getting money from this yeah, until now. And this is also a huge opportunity for a lot of other artists are there to just find a couple of people that are super interested in their art and they can directly sell it to them. So you're saying it also gives like, it democratizes the market even more as in, and people get way more reach, uh, which, which is of course one of the best benefits of decentralized uh, finance in general. Wow. Okay. It's, what? It's, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was, I was just wondering, I guess to answer your question, you I think what you were uh, kind of pointing towards is, is that I was wondering the same, maybe Jorn, you have, you have a more in-depth answer on that, but one of the things I still some, somewhere I'm noticing that uh, I, I don't quite understand in the NFT world is that, yeah, it, it might be a very social thing rather, but owning a piece of art that is factually, I, I could just copy it, right? Like there, any, 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 anything digital realistically is just zeros and ones in the end. So we can make absolutely perfect copies of it. Uh, where, and, and, you know, in the painting world, 
I think, I mean, I'm not an expert on this. I think there are copies that experts would judge to be the real one and are actually a copy, right? So it's still super hard to distinguish between these two, but it's a lot less common. Like, you know, we can, we can copy something digital in a split second. And it definitely takes a lot more time to do that in, in, in the art world, uh, the physical one at least. Um, so of course it's valuable to own or like to be able to say, I have a certificate of ownership, even though there are so many copies out there, but how, how, how does that work? Like, why are people still so interested in, in it, given that there are probably millions uh, of copies out there uh, of something that they, they theoretically own? I, I think this has a lot to do with, um, with inter, the, the concept of intersubjectivity, right? That, that we kind of, our, our whole world is subjective and the more people accept that subjective, the more it becomes sort of feels objective. And I think scarce, like collectibles, whether it's art or, well, most, mostly art in this sense. But I, I think there comes a lot of status with it. So there comes status with, okay, I discovered this artist at an early stage, or I bought artwork from him at an early stage, or I actually own this piece of art and that made me look, like I can prove that I own this art. So I can show anyone, like I own the original and you own a copy, that's fine. But I own the original. So if you want to own the original, you gotta, you gotta come to me. I think it's the, sorry. I think then it's the question about why do you want to own the original? And that is more maybe a very uh, way deeper question than just like talking technicals, but that's what Zoe said. Like, I, I get why people want to own the original of like a real art piece, because that that's for me, it, it, it makes sense that, if I have the original Rembrandt painting, like that, that, that gives me a feeling. But if it's just a direct copy of zeros and ones, is it only the, the, the aspect of like, okay, it's the original, that's it. No, nothing more, nothing less, right? Would, would you go like, people from all over the world go to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa, right? Yeah. Do you think that if, if there was this perfect copy hanging at their local museum, they would go to see the Mona Lisa? No. That's kind of that's kind of the thing what I mean with like this intersubjectivity. It's kind of it's not you cannot you cannot put it directly in mathematics or physics, right? It's more something like the social construct. But I, I wouldn't either. Like if you this local museum right around the corner would have the Rembrandt and it would be perfect, you know, and the Mona Lisa and all of the all of those art pieces would be perfect. I still like. I still want to feel that I'm looking at the original. That I'm looking at what the artist, you know, intended to do and how he made it and how he brushed everything. Like, it's it's more of a feeling. I think it's more that, it, that his soul is being transported into the piece or something like that. A little bit, yeah. And I wish I could tell you a little bit more about this, but I. It, it just crossed my mind that it is possible when you're open when you're owning an nft it's it's possible to kind of change it so let's say when when i own um when i just own a painting and it's at my home and i i smoke a lot of the or there's a fire or something it affects the the painting it affects the quality but i believe like the nfts uh changing owners uh, also affects the quality of the NFT. Well, um, you know what, what's actually programmed into the NFTs is that every time an NFT is resold, the original artist gets 
It depends. The, the percentage depends. Yeah, but there's some, yeah, there's some there. There's some there. That's very interesting. The, they own royalties on the sales for their whole lives. Just every time it's sold. Wow. Yeah, but I was just thinking, like, when you asked the question about the Mona Lisa, because I, I probably would go to see the local, uh, local one, uh, but, but only um, if it's a perfect copy, I would be, I would be happy with, because I know that it's a perfect copy, but I would only go and see it if uh, I know that the real Mona Lisa is as popular as it is, right? So you would have, uh, there, there, there has to be some initial scarcity, as in the Mona Lisa has gained a lot of popularity already, because it's such an amazing painting, and then after a few years, then they start to release perfect copies. Then I would probably be interested, uh, even though I've, I've been able to see it in, in real life. But if you take uh, an NFT and you have an artist, I don't know, like Linkin Park, which you just mentioned, well, they already have that I initial popularity, right? So then I, I think I would be more more up for it because I, I know that I'm buying into, uh, yeah, something that is is in essence scarce, but it's just a, it's a production of them. Uh, similarly to, to the artists that you did. And I guess it, it, NFTs work perfectly for these scenarios where you have something that is actually scarce, which is the artist him or herself or, or the group, and they're producing something that is not scarce, but you're buying into the idea of the artist. Does that so, yeah, so if I'm correct, anything that's digital can become an NFT, right? Any, literally, literally anything. Like uh, I also foresee, because NFT is right now it's applied to art, but I think um, receipts, you know, for example, if you go to the supermarket and you buy a big purchase like a laptop, I think NFT, uh, the receipts will also be NFTs or your paycheck or your income statement or bank statement, or I think all of those will become NFTs at some point, just because the technology is it, it's like it's an efficiency upgrade. Yeah, also for document contracts, right? Yeah, contracts, NDAs, invoices. I think all of this can be NDAs just because you can prove it's the original. So you wow. can't commit fraud. Fuck. So this big. we can also make this podcast right now an NFT. Definitely. Oh, we should do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the cool thing. Like, I don't understand this game you know like these gamers that stream that they're gaming and millions of people are watching that like i just don't get it people do that so apparently um there's this guy who opened a brand new pokemon card package and he opened that card and filmed his reaction that was the nft sold for five thousand dollars fuck me man <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's also just hilarious because it it, it makes so little sense to people like us we're reinventing value. Like we're just exploring like, what is it again? It's a little, oh. oh yeah, no, please, please go ahead. No, no, I was just thinking like, uh, could this maybe be a solution? Uh, I just realized for the whole deep fake uh, things that people are like, uh, you know, I see you nodding. So I think, yes, they can with an NFT prove that it's actually them. Something like that. Yeah, like you can put, for example, you know, with, the, with these politicians, you can um, you can give them a unique signature, so they're, they're a unique private signature, and then whenever they do a speech or they have an interview or whatever, they can they um, it's only authentic if they give their signature to it. So ah, then you can just check yeah. in the back end, like, hey, is the signature of um, Donald Trump or Joe Biden actually on this video? If it is, you can trust the authenticity. And so to hook into that, uh, I don't want to make it. So very technical, but just there, there is uh, for for Blockboard back in the day uh, for the whole Dex 
research that we did. I looked into some, um, yeah, some research that was done in the cryptographic realm. Uh, an idea that we had is to use biometrics, but like advanced biometrics. So you could, now you have fingerprint, right? But you can also use your face, but you can also use a combination of different properties, perhaps even your voice and stuff like this. And the more, and those are all things that are unique to you. And theoretically, if you record them or you, uh, it could be video or audio and, and your fingerprint and all of these things in one go, then uh, you get more and more confidence that this person is really him or her. Uh, and if you record that digitally, you can then use that cryptographically. And then I'm just, I, I just suddenly realized, oh man, what if we, uh, we bypass the concept of identity by putting people, because of their biometrics, uh, on the chain as an NFT? So then I'm an NFT and I can sign things by proving my identity by using a combination of my fingerprints, my voice, and I'm the only one that's able to reproduce that, obviously. Uh, and there, thereby, it's a pretty decentralized uh, system of, of real identity. It's, yeah, there's options. Yeah, that's 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 like instead of a passport, you get an NFT. Yeah, yeah, and you have the Niels NFT and and and, and, and so on. Yeah, there's so many uh, possibilities with NFT, but I think right now the market is a little bit blown up, um, like especially with like uh, crypto punks. Andy, I, I, I don't have to wait. Yeah, I but these are always, you got, what, what people do have to understand about this market structure is that there's a couple of thousand of guys in this space that bought Bitcoin for a dollar and Ethereum for 20 cents or 30 cents. And they, they, they didn't literally have too much money. Like they're, they're still working in crypto because they love it, but they have way too much money. So they're just, you know, they're, they're, that's also why a lot of these DeFi projects and NFT projects get so blown up. Just because these guys are setting, sitting on tens of millions of dollars and they just want to own it all. You know, they want to use it. They want to spend it. They want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same pattern as the current, the current rich people, right? It just at some point you just want to spend your money to prove that you have a lot of money for it or also. Just... That's true. So yeah, what are some point. projects? Oh, sorry. sorry, I was curious, like, what are some uh, NFT projects right now? Well, uh, I just looked up that, well, one of them is CryptoPunks, and I think CryptoPunks is the biggest uh, on the Ethereum blockchain in terms of volume. And just uh, yesterday, one CryptoPunk got sold for $3 million. And you need to understand that this, the CryptoPunk is just... 24 by 24 pixels and it's algorithmically created it's kind of randomized and there's only 10,000 of them but there's no there's no use case for it other than just having it but it, something like this being sold for 3 million is it just doesn't make sense to me it's but you see it on twitter like on twitter all these guys are using them like they're using their crypto punk or their hash mask and it's it's status it's like hey it's yeah. it's exclusive only 10,000 and I got one of them. Yeah, it's status until you realize that uh, that you buy bought way too high. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I just realized, isn't this like we are talking about right now? We don't understand it yet. We think it's like okay, 24 by 24 pixels. People are paying money for this. This doesn't make any sense to us and we're trying to wrap our heads around it. Isn't this how the generation before us, like our parents, look at Bitcoin exactly like this? Because they don't understand it. They think like, why do these guys want to have a fucking Bitcoin and they want to actually pay for that? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to buy, like yesterday I participated in this NFT, NFT sale because I was like, 
I want to like I want to participate. Like I want to be part of this, and I want to understand. You know, like I want to buy one of these, and I want to just be part of the whole process. Like I own this now, and how does it like? What does it happen? What does the market do? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I guess with with all of these things, uh, Bitcoin and, and I guess what's happening with NFTs now, like it starts it starts with ideals, right? Like as in the first early adopters, they buy into the ideal. And then suddenly after a while, like and you have all these cycles, right? And they start to give it away. Maybe that's what happened with Bitcoin. And, um, and then at some point it starts to actually get monetary value. And then suddenly it starts to align with other people's ideals because they just want the monetary value. Uh, and now, for example, my mom was reading a piece in the newspapers about Bitcoin. And, and as I realized like, yeah, now is the point that she's getting interested because this is the second time around that it's, you know, in media with, oh man, it's so it's worth so much. And now I get questions from family that was initially completely uninterested in what I was doing. Like, hey, how does that all work? And that's because it aligned with their values. So I think similarly to NFTs, like once once it aligns with our values, and I, I guess that's uh, some of the answer to your question, Niels, also, I don't see any of us ever buying a good bag. But I always look at people that buy real Gucci bags, like why why would you you know spend so much money on something that is literally just a bag? Um, and it's, it's, it's a similar thing, like it's valuable for them. And once there's something out there that aligns with my values from the brand Gucci, I might, I might buy it. And then eventually, yeah, it just goes, goes on and on. So I'm really curious to see where it goes. There's one, one quick follow-up question, um, which I'm wondering, because I don't, I'm not that much into the NFT space. I mean, it's cool, but I don't really know a lot about it. But storage is, is really, really freaking expensive on chain, right? And... Uh, of course, if you have an art piece, then you want to have a high resolution. Um, so it's going to be big. Uh, so what happens when people buy NFTs? For example, you guys buy an NFT. I've never bought one. Um, what happens then? Because you buy, of course, you buy the proof of ownership. But the actual thing that you're, you're, you're buying it for uh, is just publicly distributed or included on, on, I don't know, IPFS or something? Or... Really get the question because you were what I, I didn't hear everything you were saying. Sorry. So I'm I'm wondering like how does it work with the actual transfer of the, the piece itself? So in, in terms of like um, like compared to an ERC twenty transaction, you mean or yeah, well you can't store the piece of art on the Ethereum chain, right? It would be extremely expensive to transfer that to someone. Well, so you have Keep it, it is expensive. It is a good point because it is like very expensive, and it's also well. Still, uh, Ethereum is maybe the most popular uh, uh, NFT blockchain right now. But uh, there's definitely reasons for many projects uh, to move to other blockchains that are more scalable and cheaper. Because um, well, even a normal ERC twenty transaction is quite expensive right now. Um, can you imagine the price of um, issuing of an NFT? Issuing an NFT was about six hundred dollars. About uh, I think three four days ago, just to issue issue the issue the NFT. Fascinating. Okay, so you just get you think we're we're going to move to other chains that just have way lower uh, transaction costs. I was thinking yeah, you can use IPFS like interplanetary interplanetary file system and uh, for storing uh, storing it and then just release. Yeah. Itself on, on the Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, it, it's kind of this kind of plays into what what, what Niels was asking the, the the projects in the space. So um, you got Flow Blockchain, and Flow Blockchain is um, the founders of CryptoKitties, and CryptoKitties was the first NFT ever. 
that was kind of proof of concept. There was this um, scarce digital cats that could you could like let them breed and get the new new characteristics and traits like a cute head or a cute nose or whatever. But they got really really big. They actually got so big that they clocked up the Ethereum network. So the founders of CryptoKitties decided to build their own blockchain, especially for NFTs and gaming. So Flow blockchain, that whole blockchain is designed with NFTs in mind. And I think you're going to see more of that. I think like Rarible is another project that's an NFT marketplace. So that's that doesn't that doesn't do the issuance, but it's it's a marketplace. OpenSea is also a marketplace. Then you got Engine with the which does gaming NFTs. So through Engine you can um, get a sword or you can get a building from Minecraft and you can turn that into an NFT. And you can use the token for that. So it's, it's a super innov innovative system. And um, I think those are those are the most popular NFT projects right now. But, but I don't know if they're using the IPFS like that. It's a good point. But I don't know enough about it either to uh, answer that question. But uh, for instance, with Flow, they, they focus more on the, the transaction speed. So what they do is like uh, instead of having all the stake or all the nodes, um, uh, compute the same work at the same time. They divide them in like, I think it's five. Trends. It's almost like sharding, but uh, so but they are like computing uh, a different uh, piece of the sequence. So they start at the same time um, and they end at the same time, but they, they all work together almost like a production system. Uh, and so they're like five times faster, which is way cheaper. But I'm not sure about um, the storage. If it's so they divide efficient. the work over over pool, pools. They divide the work over pools, and then okay, that's mm -hmm. what we can do. It's interesting. All right. But are, sorry, are, are this not just uh, early phase problems that will be resolved? This is like the same with Bitcoin, right? Fees were high in the beginning, but as time dissolves, as more projects come in, this will get lower, right? Definitely. Yeah, everything will just get faster and cheaper. I guess there will also be more uses at some point. You know, right now when you build buy a digital piece of art, you just have it on your laptop or on your, you can just view it digitally. But maybe in the future, if it gets very popular, you will have like, a, I don't know, some hologram at home where you can just view it all the time if you want or hang it on the wall digitally. Whoa, There's so yeah. many. Display it as a hologram, your NFTs. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> crazy i guess there might also be a point where we can uh i was thinking about the concept of ownership but if you can transfer nft to someone and you can only display the hologram imagine you have something like a ledger but then actually it's able to display holograms so then you, you need to actually prove your own identity to the device itself after you've bought the nft so you can show the NFT, which makes it truly unique and, and not copyable uh in a way so sick all right i think we uh have discussed quite enough about nfts right now we spent more than half an hour here so uh, that's good um definitely make things clearer for me uh some other things maybe uh, that happened in the last uh, since the last thing uh, i just read an article and you also read it paul about uh, brave buying a uh, search engine i think that's pretty cool because i'm working of course with search engines the whole day for my marketing uh, agency uh, and from a principal perspective i really love this that it's that they're actually challenging Google right now. So maybe uh, 
you have a quick update on that? Well, it's really like a David against Goliath. You know, it's a very bold move from Brave. There's there's some other uh, engines that do it, like the DuckDuckGo, uh, that are more privacy oriented. Um, Brave, well, they already they're already a very well working browser on Chromium, and they not too long ago already created a Dex, and I think you were even just this Dex. Yeah, we can say something like that. Yeah, but, they got uh, they got a built-in wallet and a decentralized exchange. So this decentralized exchange is linked to seven other decentralized exchanges. So it finds the best price match. So it goes Uniswap, One Inch Exchange, and a couple other exchanges. Then you can just swap any Ethereum token to other any other Ethereum token within your Brave browser wallet. It's just great to have that in a browser extension. Um, but then as for the um, search engine, so they bought a company called Tilcat, who's been doing this. And they're looking to build a, just a complete new search engine called Brave Search. Um, they're really like trying to combat Google. And uh, well, it's a, it's a really difficult mission. I'm not sure if they succeed, but I really like it that they at least try. And uh, the interesting thing about it is that right now, well, Google uh, basically uh, everyone who's writing anything on the internet works for Google and they're not getting any money for this. Like Google is a search engine with a lot of content. They provide these con this content to uh, the viewers, but the people that create this content, they're not getting paid by Google. And so it's in that sense, it's not so, it's not the most fair. But as for uh, basic attention token with the Brave browser, what they're trying to do is make this whole system uh, fair. I think the users or viewers of advertisements are even getting paid, like maybe like 70 or 60% of the ad revenues. Um, yeah, just really changing the system there. Um, I think so. We can maybe say some more about this technically. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really buy into the vision of, of that, uh, especially considering uh, the uh, one of the, the founders uh, originally created JavaScript, which is a language that's used in, in every browser nowadays. That was the, the first reason to buy it. Honestly, I don't know that much about technology itself, um, but as you say, like the idea is to redistribute some of the like um, uh, the streams basically of, of value in the, in the ad ecosystem, and then also get people that watch ads to uh, earn uh, on doing so. Um, I really wonder where they're going to go in terms of the search engine, though. Like, Jorn, maybe you know a little bit more about it, as in, uh, will it be integrated with BAT? Or well, what should we expect of that? Maybe we can touch upon that in another episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. But from, from what I've seen so far is that they basically, they integrate everything into the browser directly. So I, I, can, I can't imagine. What Paul was describing that um, the, the creator economy, you know, that you can directly pay publishers of which articles you read. And I think they would, because that, that system is so radically, radically different from how search engines work right now, that it kind of has to be integrated into that whole economy there. They're trying to create within the browser. Well, I believe at the moment, like if people are uh, going through your website uh, through Brave, uh, you get a notification at some point from Brave saying like, yeah, your uh, viewers have been donating um, but to your uh, website. Are you willing to accept this? At this point, 
that's already working. It has been working for a few years, I think. One, one question I have with, with this is, uh, I think Peter Thiel says this, right? If you want to disrupt market, you have to make a 10 times better product. Um, what Google has right now is they use all your personal data to optimize your, your experience, right? So they really tailor your whole search just for you, which has, of course, a lot of privacy like issues, but it really makes it a, a good search engine. And Brave wants to get rid of this aspect. Like they don't want to use any personalized data. And although I like it from an ideological perspective, that's insane. That's really good. But the experience will not be better in my view. Like you will not have as as great search results as with Google. So are people actually willing to use this? Honestly, we've been gaslighted. Sorry, Paul, go ahead. I think it's a really good point because, uh, well, I believe, uh, like you say, ideologically, it's the best thing. But in the end, people, without even thinking about it, choose the easiest option and uh, the one that's tailored to them the best. And that will be Google. They're already so far ahead. So I'm not so optimistic. They, they are. They are. But, you know, like there, there's always um, there's always this battle between David and Goliath, right? Like you had IBM that was invincible when it came to computers and you had Microsoft, which was invincible when it came to software. And now you got Google, which is invincible when it comes to search. And I just don't think so. I, I think that data exploitation business model is kind of outdated. And I think people are becoming aware of like privacy concerns and, you know, how they're monetizing it, how they're manipulating your own information, like how they're using it against you to manipulate you. But I'm using, and, and to play into that, I'm using DuckDuckGo myself. Like I try to use Google as little as possible. And my experience with DuckDuckGo has been super, like it's, it's uh, uh, besides some of the location preferences, you know, if I need like localized searches, if I look for something Norwegian or Dutch, DuckDuckGo is not as good. For the rest, it's just as good. I notice with SEO usually when uh, when something is published that DuckDuckGo picks it up a little later than Google. That's the only difference. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. Interesting. I mean, from a technological perspective, uh, it always goes like this. Right? Similarly to what Jordan said, it's, um, and this is happening with the data, like that part at least of, of the data economy um, is it's definitely on a downfall. Um, simply because it's it's already getting redistributed like building the technology that google used initially to build what they do what they were doing was pretty new and pretty hard to build um but nowadays it's pretty common like it's you can you can very very efficiently uh already run all the scraping stuff it's rather that they already have all the data that they can, they can use to further advance it um, but I can imagine that if they build in the right incentive structure in this search engine, depending on how they will develop it, uh, it can gain more traction because it will align with, similarly, I guess, to what happened with Bitcoin or the, any other uh, thing that gets a lot of traction at some point. You said it first aligns with value, so you have early adopters that are like, fuck it, I just want to use this because I believe in the ideals more. Thereby, they collect more data, uh, more intelligence, and that ideally creates like a self-reinforcing uh, pattern, and then they could theoretically maybe get bought by Google uh, or get an offer. Uh, but I, I, I think I believe in that. I believe that they could they could pull it off. Yeah, that, that's that, that's interesting because the, the I feel like the paradigm is kind of changing. Like people are becoming more aware of what the what the implicit cost is of using Google, but also something like Facebook or Uber. Like 
I feel like that's kind of like technologically, you know, when it comes to AI and data analysis, Google is the best by far. Like Google is one of the best products in the world, maybe the best product. But maybe like it, their business model doesn't really align with the times anymore, like the digital age. It's, it seems kind of exploitative. To, and I think we're going towards a more democratic internet. So I think that's kind of where the shift comes from, you know, not per se technological superiority, but more like you say, like value alignment. That's quite hard, right? Yeah. Because that, that, that's that's my big question. Like with Google, Facebook, Instagram, all these these big tech companies, they basically are like crack cocaine for 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 your brain. You know, you you are completely being uh, manipulated by this high level algorithm that knows exactly what you want to see, and to win a battle from those like platforms with a principle based solution that must be really hard to to win that battle i think and we're just in the early stages and like you said i i also feel this paradigm shift that people are using signal now which i never expected to use that but there people are awakening to this this whole situation that hey you're just being exploited for your data um but do you think it's 10 times better if you the same experience would you get paid for it that was that's the only thing i think that right now can help just pay people just pay people to use it because that, that, that's we, we we got tokens right so that's kind yeah. of like that's the shift in the model here so is that 10 times better like would people be yeah. like i would say for some people like in the, if you live in the philip like i can imagine if you got a high income it's not that worthy for you but if you live in the philippines or in nigeria i think you know if you can make a dollar two dollars a day extra by just using a search engine i think that's a hundred yeah. times better yeah so yeah I think the monetization that, that that's that's the the key here to and especially like like you said like so now in third world countries yes but like how are people in the first world they need to be incentivized as well right yeah they do it ideologically right now not it's not so much for the user experience I mean I still use Chrome sometimes because it just it's just quicker uh, right now but um, yeah, I guess when there's more and more people in the third world uh, getting it, the network is growing. Once the network grows, there will be also more money to work on user experience. So just like you guys said, uh, I think the last episode with Doge, like if you create a network first, there will always be incentives to create something on top of the network. So yeah, in yeah. that sense, if we if if Bot is able to uh, grow its network, like. It, it for sure it's possible to uh, to get an amazing user experience. So one thing I wanna I wanna bring in I don't know if you know the project Solid from uh, it, it's an interesting thing to look at. I haven't looked into it very deeply, but I was very interested in when I saw it. Um, Tim Berners Lee, the creator of the World Wide Web, um, so a pretty big name in, in in that industry for sure. He wrote some of the specifications basically that led to what is now the internet. Um, together with MIT is setting up a project to uh, basically democratize internet, uh, make your data your uh, your own data. Um, it's kind of a, a new standard, more uh, more or less, what they're trying to build. Um, but the cool thing is, like he's he's taking the the original vision, part of the original vision at the very least of the internet, and actually applying it now because the original vision for the internet also was to have uh, more kind of creation abilities. Uh, they were they were actually trying to build in in the one of the original versions of the Netscape browser. They were trying to build in an, a way for you to create 
pages or content on the internet from the browser itself rather than using something like WordPress. But they kicked it out because it was just not easy to uh, to sell and you know it was too hard for people to use. Um, but nowadays we are these tools are getting more and more advanced and everyone wants to own their own data. So this this common idea like basically the people that were kind of the the uh, the outlaws maybe in, in when the internet got set up and that were really for privacy but were just not heard because it was not economically valuable they're now getting the chance to to still do this uh, so I, I think uh, that might be a very interesting combination even you know uh, and, and I think there's there's definitely more of these projects that are kind of redistributing the internet uh, that are coming up now I think solid is definitely one to watch Sorry, that could be a great partnership. I'm just reading into it now. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have a token? Uh, I don't actually know where they stand. So it was like very long time ago that I looked into it. Um, I don't know if they have a token. I don't think so, actually. Because maybe they, they will. Because I, I I came across this interview with Tim Tim Berners Lee a couple of weeks ago as well. I I think like I I think he was talking the subject, but. I was just asking about this token because I think the token is the, the the bootstrapping element. Like it's the marketing tool. It's the way you can grow. And I think kind of without the token, I, I just, and I, this could be completely my bias, you know, because I'm so much in this industry. But I feel like it's it's super hard to compete with something without a token against something with a token. Yeah. That's true. I mean, a token is able to to value very efficiently. Uh, so I, I hope that maybe you know eventually they will be able to do something along these lines. But I don't I don't think they necessarily have to as long as it aligns with enough values and it's good enough. But it definitely would make it easier to do with a token. Uh, but I don't know if, if it actually fits with the philosophy uh, and the strategy. So maybe that's something we can we can go into in the next episode and uh, we can do. Or I'm definitely open to do a little bit more research and talk about where that's heading yeah that's that's a good one i i think we should definitely go into this deeper because i'm really interested in this whole aspect of like search engines and and how it's going to affect the our lives in, in in the coming decades um i Niels, think i was actually yeah. i was i actually had a question for you because i was wondering like since you run a market a marketing agency like for example these these things that are happening with bot isn't that a, a huge opportunity for you? Do you jump on that? Do you do you try to you know use this whole Web 3.0 and tokenization to your advantage with your marketing agency? Um, yeah, it's actually a really good question because I, I thought of this uh, early this, last year actually because for me this is this aligns with my values, right? So I work with search engines and this this new technology allows us to do to do things with that. Uh, I decided to focus my attention right now on microdosing microdose pro so that's like where all of my attention goes i think i can have a bigger impact on the world with with that um but definitely i, I think there's a lot of potential within marketing to to build solutions to to have yeah, to create value for people without the whole you know tracking your data without everything um yeah all the personalized uh, stuff we have right now but I'm not. I'm not sure where this is going because we see right now also with Facebook and Apple the the, the war they have between uh, between the, the two of them. You see that tracking is becoming less and less, and you can every year there you know less about your your clients. 
So we are definitely moving into that direction with, with marketing. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious to see what, what's going to happen there. If there's anything uh, for, for DuckDuckGo, for example, for Brave Browser, if we can do something with that. But I'm not act act actively focusing on that right now. I was about to um, to wrap up a bit because we're already an hour in. Um, I think we discussed two very uh, important concepts, at least for me. I learned a lot again from the whole NFT, uh, <laughs> NFT talk. Is there anything I missed? Is there anything that you guys have noticed the last two weeks? Like, hey, we have to pay attention to this. I guess what I saw today is that um, the grayscale um, uh, the grayscale fund um, trades at a discount for the first time, and I think today they traded at minus ten percent. I'm not an expert on this, but um, yeah, I think this will have a huge effect on, on the market. I think there will in the next couple of weeks there won't be any locked up uh, funds from the fund going into the crypto space because there's like there's no unlocking periods but uh, for the last six months or two year like the 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 fund has been trading at like a premium of 40 percent and just today it went to minus 10 percent maybe one of you guys knows more about what kind of effect this has on the market no, yeah, same. That's right. Yeah. But it's it's definitely an interesting movement. I mean, Grayscale is is if, if you're interested in if you were interested in, in movers in Bitcoin, then Grayscale was one to watch, right? Uh, yeah. So but I think this means that it's becoming less and less so. Maybe it's because of competition from other funds. Um, maybe it's a bear market indicator. Well, the market generally, you know, the, the market always always arbitrages away any advantage right so if if uh, grayscale was trading at a premium premiums only last for a short while right because the market will just arbitrage it away like they will find a way to get that premium and the more ways they're found the less the premium is so it, it could be that it could be that big, really big players latched on to how to profit from this and they they just they, they kind of took the profit out of it yes sir yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that there was a big news today, and that's interesting. But maybe if it really affects the market, maybe we can talk about it in the next episode. Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting because uh, I mean, you see, still, you see these institutional parties showing interest in either developing projects on chain or just uh, outspoken interest or buying into it. I think there was some news about Charles Schwab. Uh, being interested in in, in crypto, um, there I think there's way 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 more. I also realized, by the way, there's more. Just a, a fun side note that the uh, Nifty Gateway uh, was successful and has been because they have been bought by Gemini uh, a, a long time ago. So that's also you know there's there's these yeah bigger and bigger and bigger corporations uh, pushing into the crypto industry. So that's that's going to go on. I think we have a lot more to report on the coming uh, coming months regarding that. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing as well. It's like, it's not only Bitcoin anymore this time around. Huh? Like, there's so many working yeah. products. Like DeFi is working, NFTs are working, the metaphors is working. Like all these different ecosystems are coming online. It's, it's like, even, I feel like even if Bitcoin were to go down, other projects can still go up. Like it's not, it's not just Bitcoin this time. 
Yeah, true. it's a tipping point. Shall we reserve the uh, metaverse talk for the next one? Because I really want to learn more about that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Awesome. Let's do that. All right. Thanks, guys, for, uh, for this chat again. Good second uh, sync. And I will see, uh, see you next, uh, next time. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Cheers.